0: Hi, this is the Way Family Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening. We invite you to join us in person Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at Lawford Middle School here in Tucson, Arizona. You can visit us online at wayfamily.church. Yes, let's open our uh, Bibles to Acts. We're going to finish chapter 21 and then go right into chapter 22 and we're going to see what happens next. Uh, just a little recap before we do that. Last week we saw another characteristic of Paul, remember? We saw a little bit more on, about his humility. We had learned that Paul was a great teacher. He was a great communicator. He was a strong example of what it looked like to be a Christian, but he also submitted to God. He submitted to his grace. He also submitted to his authority, his leaders. And in this case, it was James and the elders of the church in Jerusalem. So Paul's there with them, he's rejoicing with them, But then there's also a potential problem that happens, and Paul's willing to do whatever he's instructed to do by his leaders. And so we see this beautiful just characteristic, this sense of humility that comes out of Paul. Paul considered himself the least of the saints, and he was obedient to the leadership of his leaders. And to me, that's fascinating that Paul really considered himself that way, because in my opinion, he was one of the greatest of the saints, right? But he just was so aware of the saving grace that that he had received through Jesus and his blood on the cross. So I, I think that's just a beautiful picture, and that's just a great sense of humility to continue to have each and every day and not let pride get uh, in the way of the work that God's doing, because pride can get in the way, trust me. Um, you, we also saw that Paul had great concern for the church to the degree that he's willing to do something that's not necessarily required of him to do but because of his concern for the church because he really cared for the well-being of the believers there in Jerusalem he was willing to do what had to be done and here's the thing that plan that James put before Paul that could have gone wrong I mean it wasn't a foolproof plan and we saw that it did went did go wrong right in chapter 21 verse 33 we read that Paul ended up in chains and under serious threats because he was obedient and humble to his leaders, right? It's interesting. It's like, oh, great. I listened to what they asked me to do, and now I'm chained up, right? But God has a greater plan, and we will continue to see how that plan is being developed. The other thing we uh, also looked at last week is um, how it's important for us to be able to compromise for the sake of the gospel sometimes. Now, I went back and listened to my recording last week, and I realized that I started an example of a bad compromise, but then my mind got ahead of me and I never finished the example of a bad compromise. So I want to take a moment to finish it. Some of you guys are probably wondering what, what did that have to do with bad compromise? I brought up an example of like an Escalade. Said the Lord, or you feel like you're led that you need to purchase a fancy, luxurious vehicle like an Escalade. We just said, you know, and then I said something like, that's bad compromise. What? <laughs> what I meant to say is that that's a bad compromise if it requires you to stop investing in areas that matter like if it requires you to stop giving to the local church or to charity or to stop investing in your family in ways that are healthy for the sake of having something luxurious that would be a bad compromise that was the example i meant to give you last week did you did you have kind of a head scratcher moment yeah (laughs) i went back and i thought that was weird anyway i'm sorry i apologize for that but yes but um but uh it's it's good it's good to see you know how important it is to compromise sometimes for the sake of the gospel and Paul was definitely willing to do that to the degree that it and it, it, it actually it put him in a position as though he was a terrible prisoner or a, or a terrible criminal And so I want to continue to see what happens after that. And so let's open to Acts chapter 21. Let's read through the passage today and then we'll go back and break it down. So let's start 21 verse 37. Chapter 21 verse 37. And we'll go all the way through chapter 22 verse 29 today. And it says this. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? No, let's, let's just back up really quick. Remember, Paul's carried into the barracks because the crowd is so violent against them. They hate Paul. They, they accused him of breaking a sacred law, and that was to bring a Gentile into the temple courts, right? Not the court of Gentiles, but into the actual temple. And that was punishable by death. And so the Jews are just despising Paul to the degree that the, 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 the soldiers had to carry him. Otherwise, the crowd would go off on Paul. Like, that's how bad the situation was for Paul. And so he's brought into the barracks. Um, And so it says, he said to the tribune, Paul says to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And then he had given him permission. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priests and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received the letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Verse 6. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one named Ananias... A devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to every one of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in, a, in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away, away with this, with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? for this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum, Paul said, but I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time together. We ask, Father, that you would open up our hearts and minds to understand your word, Lord Jesus, and that you would help us understand it to the degree that we're able to live it out and practice it, Lord. Lord, we're here, Father, because we want to hear from you. And so, Lord, allow me to speak your words, Lord Jesus, today, and that we would just be blessed and filled by your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So, before we look deeper into this passage, I hope that you were captivated by the the narrative there it was paul's testimony did you get that and we'll talk a little bit more about that but it was a really good story let me ask you this what makes a good story what makes a good story think about all the good stories that you've ever read or listened to or sometimes movies you can tell that was a great movie right because the story was good now perhaps you would have to think back to your english class right and uh you might say an interesting character or interesting characters compelling conflict And a satisfying resolution those are pretty essential elements for a good story okay and interesting characters compelling conflict a satisfying resolution now these elements are certainly essential for storytelling but you should also consider a, a testimony as a good story how many of you guys have heard really good testimonies yeah like some of the kind that you're like wow perhaps you even cry from hearing someone's testimony someone's story right? Um, sometimes I've, I've heard people, man, I wish something terrible and crazy and radical happened to me so that I would have a great story or a great testimony, right? <laughs> you don't have to have something crazy happen to you for it to be a good story. But in this case, we see a pretty good story from Paul and a testimony is a great story. So we're going to talk a little bit more about testimony today. But before we do that, let's define the word testimony, a testimony is a written or a spoken statement recounting or retelling an experience, okay? A written or spoken statement recounting or retelling an experience. However, as Christians, when we talk or ask about our personal testimony, we're asking or telling the story of how we became a Christian. So it's different. It's not like you go into court and you're testifying, you're sharing a testimony of what you are witness to. When, when we're asking you as Christians, what is your testimony? You're, you're telling us how you became a christian okay that's the story and we see a beautiful uh, example of this here in this passage with paul when he speaks to the people in jerusalem and so um, in this passage we see that uh that that this is actually what he chooses to say to them as he has an opportunity to speak to them now remember plan a went south what was plan a paul take these men who are under a vow, and go to the temple, pay their expense, shave your heads, so that they could see that you're a Jew, right? Did that work? No. <laughs> so, what's the next alternative? I'm going to tell them who I am, right? And so, I think that this was actually the best thing that Paul could have said. He took an opportunity to tell his story, but but a story that was pretty radical and, and interesting, the compelling, and the part of it is, too, is how he connected with the the audience with the crowd. And I think that's fascinating. So uh, let's let's dive in a little bit deeper into this and see and develop and, and kind of just uh, uh, unpack this passage, because there's really a lot for us to learn from how Paul shares his story, a lot for us to learn on how to share our personal story. All right. So let's let's move on. Verse 37 of chapter 20, 21 says, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks again, The crowd is violent. It's wild. He needs to be carried into the barracks, which is safe from the crowd. He said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And the tribune said, do you know Greek? So he was surprised, first of all, that Paul spoke to him in clear, perfect Greek, because we'll see here in verse 38. The uh, the uh, Tribune asks him, are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Wait, 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 who? Who are you confusing Paul with? This Tribune is confusing Paul with an Egyptian. This is an Egyptian, a Jew Egyptian that a few years ago actually stirred up a revolt. And what's interesting is that we have an extra biblical source. This is someone who's a non-biblical source, who documented this event in that time. His name is Josephus. He was a Jewish historian, and he documents of this revolt from this Jewish Egyptian leader. And so who this guy was, we just know him as the Egyptian. He had, according to Josephus, 30,000 men who conspired to um, just fight against Rome because they really despised the Romans, and they did not like those who sympathized with the Romans. And so their plan was to uh, attack Jerusalem. And he said, the Egyptian said, I, we are going to tear down these walls. In three days, these walls in Jerusalem are going to come down, and we're going to take out the Romans, right? However, the governor at the time, who was Felix, is aware of this, and he goes in and he wipes them out like that. The Egyptian never has an opportunity to go in and attack as he had planned. And so many are, scat- many are, many are killed and imprisoned, and then hundreds of them got, are scattered, and they kind of disappear and dissolve into the wilderness, including that Egyptian man. And because of the reaction that the Jews had against Paul, this tribune could only assume that this was this Egyptian, this crazy, radical terrorist. And he was a terrorist, and we know that because... He mentions the, the thousand men of the assassins. Now, this word assassins is Greek for sikarios, which means daggerman, or I would say shankers, all right? And they were terrorists in that sense because what these guys would do, this group of the assassins, what they would do is they would kind of get into crowds, right, and in the cover of the crowds, they would stab. They would stab their enemies. And then they would just kind of dissolve right into the crowd. And some of them would say, oh, no, are you OK? And really just cover the, 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 uh, the, uh, the attack very well, the offense very well. And so they were a terrorist group. And, and Jews didn't like them, because if you sympathized one way or in any way with a Roman, you were then a target. You were considered an infidel, according to this, this terrorist group, the assassins. And so you could imagine this is a very hated group from in Jerusalem. And Paul's very hated, like to the point where he can't even walk in peace into the barracks. This tribune only assumed this. This has got to be that Egyptian that hate that hated radical assassin guy. So he's surprised. He says, wait a minute, you speak Greek. What? Aren't you not that Egyptian, then, who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? 39 Paul replied, I'm a Jew. I'm no Egyptian. I'm a Jew, and I'm from Tarsus in Cilicia. That's interesting to me that he didn't just stop at, I'm a Jew. He says, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. That's like saying, I'm a Harvard alumni. All right? He says in the perfect Greek. No, I'm not that guy. I'm actually from a very renowned, well-renowned region. That's very educated and 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 I'm kind of, you know, I know what I'm talking about is essentially what he's saying by saying I'm from Tarsus of Cilicia. He's kind of getting gaining status right with with this tribune. He says, as citizen of no obscure city, he says, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, so the the tribune obviously thought, okay, you're not the Egyptian. Go ahead. What do you have to say? Because if you're not the Egyptian, then why do they hate you so much? Like, what did you do as a well-educated Greek speaking Jew? What is it about you that they're just so stirred up? And so he gave him permission to speak and Paul, standing on the steps, he motioned with his hands. We see this in the past, too, remember? Some, some people have motioned, like, hey, silence. He motions with his hands, um, and then there was a great hush. And then he addressed them in the Hebrew language. It says he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Well, what's interesting is that it's more likely that he addressed them in the Aramaic, the language that Jesus spoke. And so you're probably wondering, well, then, was it Hebrew or was it Aramaic? Well, I don't know if you know this, but Hebrew and Aramaic are very similar. It's like if you speak Hebrew, you understand Aramaic and vice versa. It's like saying British English versus American English. Some definitions might be a little bit different. You know, depending on how you construct your phrases and sentences, you can definitely understand it. And so he addressed them in the Aramaic or in that Hebrew language saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense. Now, here's the first point that I want to make. The defense, this is the Greek apologia, all right? The word apology comes from this, but not as we define it today. Now, I do want to take a moment to talk about apology or defense. A defense is a statement, obviously, right, where you share your defense. Hey, this is what happened, this is why it happened, and this is why I behaved the way I behaved. That's basically what a defense is. Now, apology, have you ever been apologized to and it's just, I'm sorry? Doesn't it feel like that's just not enough? Like, oh, yeah, sure, you're sorry. That's, all what, that's what we all say. Did you know that a true apology is more than that? It's a defense. And so, like, for example, if I ever, um, if I ever sin against my wife or fall short or I do something by mistake and I have to apologize to her, and like an, a true apology, I'm sorry doesn't cut it because we hear that way too often. And so that's more of just a request for pardon. Pardon me. I'm sorry, you know, that kind of thing. A true apology consists of three different sections. One, you have to be able to say, okay, this is where I was. This is the things that I was mixed in. This is what I was processing. This is why I behaved the way that I did, right? And so you say, what happened before the offense? And then what the offense was, you have to be able to say that. And then what you're going to do as a result of that. Are you going to change or are you going to be the same? If you can put those three things together, you have a, legitimately, a legitimate apology. Got it? Otherwise, it's just a request for pardon. It wasn't an apology. You don't have your defense. And so Paul's giving us a defense, an apologia. And so he goes and he says this, brothers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they had heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, and he says three things. We're going to see that. So if you want to mark your Bibles, this is what I did. The first thing he says is who he was before he knew Christ. This is his defense, who he was before Christ. The second thing he's going to share is what happened that led him to Christ. And then finally, who has become because of Christ. Those are the three things that are part of this apology or this defense. And so when we share our testimony or our defense, who were you before Christ? What happened that led you to Christ? And who are you now because of Christ? Those are three very important components. If you're part of our discipleship groups, you're going to have an opportunity to put together your testimony. Just a heads up. All right. And so he includes these three sections. So let's look at the first section. Who was Paul before he knew Christ? verse 3 I am a Jew born in Tarsus in, C- in Cilicia but brought up in the city educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers being zealous for God as all of you are this way so this is the first thing he says is I'm a Jew this is who I was before of devout pharisee why because he was brought up under the teachings of the great Gamaliel Gamaliel was a very respected teacher in, in, in this culture, in this time, so respected that when the, all of the apostles were arrested shortly after Pentecost, Gamaliel gave, gave them a very wise word. He said, brothers, if this is of man, just leave them, Let them be. It'll dissolve. It'll come to nothing. But if this is of God, you, can, you can't do it. It's, it would be that we ourselves are working against God. So just let him be. And so the apostles were released because of Gamaliel's wise words. And guys, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, it's still going. Gamaliel was right about something. If it's from God, you can't stop it. And it's still going. Right. And so Paul was brought up with this Gamaliel. And so everyone is probably relating to him and thinking, wow, so you were like a a real Jew. This is what Paul's saying. Yes, I'm a Jew. I, brought, I was brought up under the feet and the, 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 the guidance of the great Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the laws, which means I am a Jew. I did what you do. I, I totally empathize. We have common ground here. And he says, being zealous for God as you are this day. And he says, I persecuted this way, these Christians is what he's saying, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness. He's saying, I did exactly what you're doing. Exactly. And I did it in a crazy way. It didn't matter who you were, lady or gentleman, I'm going to get you. And I had the approval stamp from the elders and the leaders of, the, of, of Jerusalem. So in other words, he was, he was in close relationship with the high leaders of Jerusalem. He's saying... I get you. That's who I was. And then he goes, from them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So I didn't just persecute those around here. I made my way to get the job done everywhere. And so now he's going to transition. That's who he was. He was a persecutor of the Christians, of those of the way, right? I I got you, bros. He's kind of connecting there with them. And then he moves into what happens next, the the part that says, what happens that led him to Christ, verse 6. Now, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great line from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground. And a voice, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Hey, wait a minute. I thought this guy was dead. Paul thought he was dead. And now he's saying, wait, I met, I met Jesus. That's what happened. I thought he was dead. I met Jesus. He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, of whom you are persecuting. Nine. Now those who were with me, he's saying, hey, I had witnesses, guys. I'm not making this up. They saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of one who was speaking to me. Ten. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? Acknowledging God as Lord. And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. This is what happened. This is what changed my life around. This is why I'm no longer standing there next to you guys. Twelve, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, You guys have heard of Ananias. He's probably mentioning Ananias to the crowd because he was someone who was respected as a Jew. Well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. He came to me and standing by me, he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and I saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. Listen to what Paul's saying. He's saying, the god of our fathers he's still acknowledging yahweh jehovah as the one true god he's not saying i have a new god all right he's again that commonality he's saying our god our god said this to me he appointed me to know a voice from his mouth to, to, he appointed me that to see the righteous one and that's language that's used in the book of isaiah and jeremiah to describe the anointed one the righteous one the man of sorrows, the Messiah. And so now Paul's saying, that one we've all been waiting for, I was appointed to know him. And So people are probably, well, who knows what they're thinking, but they're thinking, wow, that's amazing, right? And to hear a voice from his mouth, 15, for you will be a witness for him to everyone <clears throat> of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name, This is the the mission. So I met Jesus. This is what happened, but for a reason. He says that I need to go and be a witness of what I've seen and heard. And so that's what I'm doing. That's what happened. And so this is what's interesting. Verse 17. Now he's going to transition to who he's now become because of Christ. 17. And when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him. He saw Jesus saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. That's who I am now an apostle to the Gentiles. And that's what I'm doing. I'm going, and that's the business that I'm handling. And that's why you've probably heard everything that you've heard about me. But that's because the Lord, the one whom we've been waiting for, has appointed me for that. That is Paul now. That is Paul, the one whom they knew as Saul, right? <clears throat> he is now uh, uh, to the Gentiles. And, and so this is where it gets kind of humorous for me, because we go into verse 22, and he says, And it says up to this word, they listened to him up to what word? Far away to the Gentiles, that the word Gentiles, that it was like a cuss word to them. It was like a dirty word to them. It was like, mm, no, why? Because the Jews valued their status as God's people. They really did. And so the idea of others, others being able to be grafted into the the, the family of God, the chosen people of God was not something that they settled with very well, especially these Gentiles. Like, they eat pork. (laughs) You know, like, they had so many reasons to not like these Gentiles. And so the idea that God would also accept them or give them adoption of sons, they had a real problem with that, you know? And I don't know how many of you guys can relate, but sometimes we have a problem with the people that God chooses to be part of the family, right? We think, really? Like, (sighs) ah. that person smells bad. Like, why does he have to be here? Just an example. Okay. But this is kind of the reaction that they had. And they did not, everything was going well until Paul says the Gentiles. Oh, great. Here it is again. Right. And so up until that point, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. This is a good expression of the rage and their disappointment and disapproval of Paul at the time. And then the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks again, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. So even now, the tribune does not understand what the big deal is. So we heard Paul. He gave his story and he's still wondering, scratching his head. Why do they hate you so much? Like, what aren't you saying? You're hiding something. Let's examine him by flogging. Put him on the post. We're going to whip him until he's honest, until he can't take it anymore. Then we'll know the real reason, right? We're going to just punish him and torture him. And then 25, but when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, (laughs) yeah, this is a good question, by the way. He says, is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Wait, what? What did you just say, Paul? Is it? Wait, are you? And then he says, when the, centur, when the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune. And he said to him, what are you about to do for this man's a Roman citizen? Wait, why is this a big deal that Paul was a Roman citizen? He says, wait, is it lawful for you to whip one of your own? Without, you, is it, isn't that illegal? <laughs> And so he goes and he says, hey, do you know that you're about to punish a Roman citizen? So Paul appeals to his Roman citizenship and his judicial standing. Did you know that Roman law forbade the punishment of a citizen without trial? That was a benefit of being a Roman citizen. That's why it was valued. And it came along with other things. And so Paul knew that as a citizen. And he's saying, wait a minute, you're breaking the law here. Is this lawful for you to do? And did you know that the the punishment for those who broke that law could be up to death? You know, they themselves would receive the same punishment. And so if you're the centurion, if I'm the centurion, I'm going to think twice. Because what I'm about to do with that guy, I don't want to be in his position. Right. And so he goes to the tribune. and He says, hey, 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 he's a Roman citizen. The tribune's kind of scratching his head is wondering the same thing. And so he goes to Paul 27. And he says tell me are you a roman citizen and paul says yes the tribune then answered i bought the citizenship for a large sum and paul said but i'm a citizen by birth wait a minute what's the difference here this this tribune purchased his citizenship did you know that roman citizenship can only be acquired if you were born into it Or if you did something, um, something very, uh, very valuable a service of value or something heroic for the Roman Empire, where you were kind of like knighted in a sense, you know, that's the only way you could acquire citizenship or if you spend a fortune on it. And so this tribune was obviously someone who was willing to dedicate his life to Rome in the service of Rome. And he says, I paid a fortune for my citizenship. You were able to afford it. I don't think so. Come on, Paul. You're not really a citizen. He says, I'm a citizen by birth. Do you know what that means? That means that somewhere in Paul's lineage, there was either true Italian, Roman Italian, or he was of a family that was honored by the Romans. And so to have Roman citizenship by birth was the ultimate type of citizenship. And so this explains why Paul is so fluent in the Greek. And this explains why Paul knows exactly what's lawful and unlawful. And so the tribune's now like, whoa, this is this is more of a Roman citizen than I am. I'm messing with the wrong guy. If this guy's a citizen by birth, he can just say the word and put me on that pole to be whipped myself. And so this is exactly what Paul is appealing to, is his citizenship. He says, I'm a citizen by birth. So 29. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. He broke the law against this native Roman citizen. Remember in Philippi, when Paul and Silas were imprisoned, the, 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 the guys are just said, just leave, please, just leave, right? Because they were so afraid of Paul. And I'm sure that they were so grateful that Paul didn't, you know, prosecute or didn't press charges against these guys. That's how much of a status that Roman citizenship had to the point where the tribune was afraid of his actions against Paul. And that is a beautiful thing for us to kind of think about. And so with that, I want to go to our takeaways. We'll stop right there. Because we see that after that, the Roman, the the, the Roman, um, um, The Roman still doesn't understand why people hate Paul, and so he sends him to the Sanhedrin. So our takeaways, our first one, it's no mistake that God has made you who you are. See, this was not Paul's doing that he was a Roman citizen. He was just born into it. It is no mistake that God made you who you are. Like, for example, Miriam and Rico were just here just a second ago. We had this connection because we both, you know, her late husband was Guatemalan. And I'm Guatemalan. And so there was this like, instant connection. And it was like, oh, you know tamales, you know this, you know that. And there was a lot of like cultural agreements and whatnot. And it was like, yeah, she felt like family right away. There was nothing I did. It was just who I am, right? And so I connected with, with, with Weston over there just because I saw that he had a spike ball sticker on his cup. And I thought, I love spike ball. So we have this commonality. He can't help that he likes spike ball. I can't help it. It's just, it's just a great thing to do. So we have this connection. And so Paul's using this, right? He's like, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. We're Roman citizens. And so he uses it to his advantage. So what has God put in you? Who has God made you that you could use for the advantage of furthering the kingdom? Because whether we're red, brown, yellow, black, and, or white, wherever the song goes, we are all precious in his sight, right? There, we all have been made for a very distinct purpose. We can take advantage of that. And so let's look at Galatians 1. Paul says this about himself, Galatians 1.15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, see, this was not Paul's doing, before I was born, God set me apart and he who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So Paul was born a Roman citizen by God's design that he would be effective with the Gentiles. You have been created who you are by design so that you could have an impact to those that you connect with, that you bond with, that you have commonalities with. It's not an accident that you are who you are and that you've come from where you've come from. Right. Why? Because God's graced you with that. And so what are you going to do? What are you called to? That's a good question to ask ourselves. So if God has revealed himself to you, you have great purpose, guys. Don't forget that. And your purpose is to be witnesses to those around you of the work that Christ has done for you. And so you're not less than the other person. You're different. There's no doubt about that, but that's beautiful. That's a good thing. And Paul takes advantage of that. Takeaway number two, be ready to give a defense for your faith. Are you guys ready to share your testimony? If I close my eyes and randomly pointed at someone and asked you to come say your testimony, would you be ready to do that? Who's ready? Raise your hand. All right, we got two, three people. Be ready to give your defense, okay? Why? Because people are ministered by that, that, that story, that great story that we talked about. It matters. You have it for a reason, and it is high impact. Scripture says that we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, right? It's encouraging. It's convicting. It's uplifting. It's everything that it needs to be for the person who needs to hear it. And so be ready to give a defense. First Peter 3.15 says this, in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Key words, gentleness and respect. Don't do it. Don't be rude about it. Don't condemn people for who they are. Share your story with gentleness and respect. How do you do that? Well, we kind of saw how Paul did it. First, tell us about who you were before you met Christ. So you can say something like, what you believed before Christ, or how did you behave before Christ? Got it? Just tell us who you were before you met Christ. Whatever. What experiences did you have? Then you say, what happened that led you to Christ? That's the next part of it. So did someone talk to you about Christ? Did someone evangelized to you? Did you, were you invited to go to a church service and that's how you met Christ? Or did Jesus appear to you or did something miraculous happen like Paul, you know? Did you have a dream that something just kind of was, was it in your face and boom, you just knew? What, what is it? What led you to Christ? Or were you more like me where you slowly but surely just started putting the dots together? Whoa, whoa, whoa. So that's the next thing you say, what happened that led you to Christ? And then you close with, how are you different now? What are you hoping now? How do you live your life now? How has God changed you? We want to hear that, you know, because a lot of people's like, so I'm a Christian now. So what? What's the difference? Well, there's a good difference. There's a big difference. Be, be able to share the difference. You know, we, it's, there's a lot of purpose in that change. And so that's how you share your defense. So I hope that you can take this and maybe write it down, put it and put it to practice with these elements in it. And when you do share your apology or your testimony or your defense, uh, four things. Be real and genuine about it. Don't make up or exaggerate the story just because someone else's story is way cooler than yours. Just tell your story. Be, be real. Be genuine. OK, Two. be prepared. Like really write this down and be ready to share it with anyone who might ask. Three, be compassionate. (laughs) That means be kind about it. Do it for the sake of winning one for Christ, all right? Do it for the sake of making him greater than you. So be compassionate. Do it because you actually care for that person, not just because you're prideful in what has happened with you, but do it with compassion. And fourth, be sincere. Share what you know. Don't be intimidated by, by what you don't know, all right? Just share what you know. And if someone asks you a hard question, you just tell them, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I can find out if you'd like. But be sincere. Like, don't, don't get trapped in your own words, okay? That happens. Trust me, I've done that before. It doesn't go well. You get stuck and you're like, I don't I've gone too far. You know, I have no idea what to say. Just be sincere. And so that's takeaway two is just be ready to give Defense for your faith and take away three, kiddos. This would be a good one for you guys. What do you think? Be loving to those who hate you. All right. Just think about Paul, the situation that he was in. He was not hateful or despised. He did not despise the people who were condemning him. He had concern for them. He was compassionate. He did not hate that the Romans did what they did. He was understanding. He was loving to those who hated him. So instead of trying to get back at those who want to hurt you. Just love them. That's what Paul did. He addressed them in a friendly manner. Remember, he calls them brothers and fathers. Not, hey, you idiots, listen to me. Like sometimes we have the tendency of saying, right? He addresses them with love and compassion. Um, He practiced exactly what he said in Romans 12, 14. He says this, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Isn't that a hard thing to do? Bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. He was like our Lord. Paul was just like our Lord Jesus, who being reviled did not revile in return. You're wondering, what's reviled? Reviled is to be angrily insulted. All right? 1 Peter 2.23, we read that when he was reviled, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So Christ, he and trust in himself to God, we can do the same thing. Lord, I'm not happy right now, but I trust that you're going to take care of me and that you're going to deal with that person appropriately because it is not my job. It is your job to be that judge, right? And so be loving to those who hate you. Got it? All right. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. If you think about it, he loved us while we were still yet sinners. Think about that. Like, really think about that. What a display of love for us. That even though we rebelled against him, the Lord and his creation, he loved us. He loved those that hated him and was willing to die on the cross for you. Really, don't make little of that. And if you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, guys, I urge you, seek him. Ask. Knock on the door. It will be answered. Ask questions. If there's something that's choking you up or holding you, holding you back, find out what it is because I promise you there's nothing to lose and everything to gain in Christ Jesus. Everything everlasting. Amen. So let me close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this word. We ask, Father, that you would help us be loving to those who hate us, that you would help us be prepared to give a defense for our faith, Lord Jesus. And Lord, thank you that you have made us with purpose Thank you that everything that we are is intentional. We just ask that you would help us live that out. And Lord, thank you for the example that we have in Paul and even the journey that we've already experienced because of the work that you've done for us on the cross and how you've radically changed some of us and how you're changing some each and every day. We ask that you would continue to do that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.